to you, 11 young men and young women that will be baptized today. This is not only a special day, it's also a sacred day. As you make your vows of commitment to God, and I am blessed and honored to share this day with you. It's an exciting day. You've been looking forward to this for quite a number of months, and the day has arrived, and I rejoice with you in that. And to the Weavertown Church, and to all the family and friends that are gathered together here, uh, we welcome you and we thank you for coming. We're glad you chose to support these young people in this way. And our prayer is that you would be blessed in being here as well, as we all consider our walk with God. This morning I've chosen to preach from Romans chapter 6. And the book of Romans is a book like none other. It's a book that dives into the doctrine of, of um, salvation with great depth and detail. It's a deep book, and we certainly will not be able to dive into all that this passage uh, contains here this morning. And I told the class that I'll try to keep the message short this morning, and I'll try to stick to that. That's my goal. I want to draw your attention particularly to verse 4 of chapter 6. And I noticed that that verse is printed in the bulletin this morning. That was not by my request, so I thank the person responsible for putting that in. Out of the more than 31,000 verses in the Bible, you chose the very verse that I'm planning to preach on this morning. So uh, thanks for that. Romans chapter 6, verse 4. Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also shall walk in newness of life. And if you look at this verse carefully, I think you can notice three things. First of all, there is a proclamation. There is a proclamation that we are buried with him by baptism into death. That's the fact. Christ died. We are identifying with him by our baptism. That's the proclamation. And then there is a pattern that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of God. We have Christ as a pattern. We look at his example. He was buried, but he rose up from the dead. And just like he rose up from the dead, that's the pattern for us to follow. And then we have the principle. Even so ye also shall walk in newness of life. And that principle is what I want to focus on this morning. And in fact, it is the title of the message, Walk in Newness of Life. This word walk is a word that is used quite frequently in the Bible, quite frequently in the New Testament, quite frequently in Paul's letters. He uses it, um, yes, quite often. And... Um, the word generally, as used in the Bible, does not refer simply to how we move from point A to point B, but it describes our, our lifestyle, our way of living, a way of life. In Ephesians 4, verse 1, Paul used this word when he was speaking to the Christians. He says, I beseech you that you walk worthy of the vocation wherewith you are called. Now, when he used this word walk, he wasn't talking about walking with good posture or with confidence and poise or looking dignified. He wasn't talking about how you swing your arms when you walk or if you walk with a cane or crutches or a walker. Or a, yeah, a walker. 
But he's talking about how you live your life. Walk worthy of the vocation. Live your life worthy of your calling as followers of Jesus Christ. So I, I think we can understand the, the meaning of that. And in verse 4 here in Romans 6, Paul says, walk in newness of life. And what he's saying is live your life in a way that exemplifies the new life that you have within you, that shows that you have new life. As we look at this passage, I'd like to look at five facts about the new life. Five facts about the new life. Fact number one, new life is a gift from God. It's a gift. Now, when you're given a gift, you're given a gift generally because somebody cares for you. It's not because you earn it or deserve it. If you earn it, it's pay, something you deserve. New life is a gift from God. And our new life from God is not something that we deserve. We do not deserve new life. If you want to know what you deserve, the picture is not very pretty. A number of verses from, Romans chapter, from the book of Romans, chapter 3, says, There is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that doeth good. There is none that seeketh after God. You see, we don't deserve this life. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God, and the wages of sin is death. We do not deserve this new life. James 2, chapter 10, says, Whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he is guilty of all. And I think we understand that that includes every one of us. You see, the law is like a chain. Suppose you hook a tractor to uh, maybe a vehicle that's stuck, and you attach it with a chain. You start pulling, and just one link in that chain breaks. The chain is broken. You're not going to be able to pull anything with it. And that's how the law is. If one link is broken, the law is broken. So when it comes to new life, we don't deserve it. We deserve death. We have broken the law. Not only do we not deserve it, you cannot earn it. There's nothing you can do to earn this life. Ephesians 2, 8 and 10. For by grace are ye saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, not of what we do, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works. And another verse, Titus 3, 5. Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us, by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. Salvation, new life, is a gift. You don't deserve it. You cannot earn it. It is a gift from God. And some of the verses that I read earlier go on to to illustrate how this is a gift. Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And Ephesians 2, we said it's not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. The fact that you are sitting where you are this morning, young people, is a gift of God because he gave life. The fact that you're able to walk in newness of life is a gift of God. And to all of you here, if you have that new life this morning, it's a gift, a gift for which we need to be grateful. We need to thank God. 
God is our only hope. So new life is a gift from God. New life is also a response to God. As we respond to God, we have this new life. Now this chapter, Romans 6, I mentioned dives into the doctrine of salvation. And as we read this chapter, we read a lot about what Jesus did for us. It emphasizes the truth of what Jesus did. But that's not the only thing it emphasizes. It also emphasizes our response to him. In fact, I think that is the whole point of this chapter. Paul describes what Christ did, but his point is to challenge us to respond to that. So what do we need to do? What is our response? There's three things that, that stand out to me in this passage as we kind of progress through the passage. First of all, we need to know. And that's why Paul tells what Christ did, so we know. And he uses that word a number of times in verse 3. Know ye not? Verse 6, knowing this. Verse 9, knowing that Christ. There are things that we need to know. First of all, we know that Christ died. In verse 6, we know that when we were born again, our old man died as well. Our old man is crucified with him. I just, uh, last evening, heard some people talking, and it was uh, an interesting conversation for me to listen into as I was thinking about this verse. And someone was saying that when a person dies that has committed a crime, if a person commits a crime, but he, he dies before he is brought to trial, he cannot be charged with that crime after he is dead. He's dead, and the case is closed. He's no longer charged with that crime. And I thought, well, isn't that interesting how that applies to the Christian life? As we, as our old man dies, God no longer charges the, the, charges the crime to our account that we may have committed before that. The case is closed. When our old man dies, our righteous judge will no longer convict us. So verse 6 tells us we need to know that. Know this, that our old man is crucified with him, the body of sin, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. These are things that we need to know. Verse 9 tells us that we need to know that Christ was resurrected into the new life. And then because of this, we also experience new life in Christ. And I think that's the point of verse 4. It doesn't use the word know there, but it says we also should walk in newness of life even as Christ was raised. So as we respond to God, first of all, we need to know. But then there's a progression as we move through this chapter. Verse 11 uses the word reckon. Now this actual word reckon is used only one time in this passage, but the idea is used repeatedly. This word reckon is kind of a, an accounting term. It means to, to calculate, to add up, or to consider carefully. For example, if we have two plus two more plus two more, we know we have six. That is, that is reckoning. We, we add this up. We calculate it. And Paul is telling us that we need to calculate. We need to consider if Christ did this, then we should do this. There's a logical result. 
just like two and two and two make six, if Christ did this, then what should be the result? We need to consider this. We need to reckon this. It is taking what we know and applying it. And in that sense, the idea of reckoning is used many times in this passage, even though it doesn't use the word reckon. Many times throughout this passage, Paul brings the idea, if Christ or since Christ did this, then you need to do this or consider this. I'll give a few examples. Uh, just um, other, other ways of using this word reckoning. In verse 4, Paul says, Like as Christ, we should also. Like as Christ, we should also. That's reckoning. Verse 5, For if we shall be. That's reckoning. That's considering. Verse 8, Now if this happen, we believe. That's reckoning. And then in verse 11, Likewise reckon. So we need to know, then we need to consider. And then there's a third thing as well. We need to yield. And that's what this passage is all about. I think that's Paul's point. That's his emphasis. We know, we consider, and then we respond. We yield. We need to consider so that we can yield. We know what Christ did. We consider what it means for us, and we yield. The word yield in this chapter is used five times in three different verses, verses 13 and 16 and 19. Verse 13, neither yield yourselves unto sin, no longer yield to sin, but unto God. Verse 19, ye did yield unto sin, but now ye yield unto holiness. And for you young people, that's what today is really all about. You are here to make a commitment to God. You are expressing the fact that you have yielded your lives to him. And in the vows that you will be making here in a few minutes, you are expressing that yieldedness. You are yielding yourself to God, to his word, and to his church, three things that are specifically mentioned in the vows. And basically what you are saying is, God, because I know what you did, and because I consider that, I reckon it, I consider what that means, therefore I yield myself to you, my life, to you and to your word and to your church. So new life is a gift. New life comes from our response to God. New life also comes from dying. Now that seems like a contradiction of terms. New life comes from dying. But our text verse says we are buried with him into death. So like as Christ raised up, was raised up from the dead, so also ye should walk in newness of life. You cannot experience new life until you have experienced the old life to be destroyed. Jesus himself taught this principle when he said, Verily I say unto you, except a corn of wheat, an expression which means a grain of wheat, fall into the ground and die. That grain rots, it dissolves, it eventually goes to nothing. 
But unless that happens, it cannot sprout and bring forth much fruit. And I just want to emphasize this morning that dying in a spiritual sense in this way is always worth it. Consider that one grain as it dies and it sprouts and it grows. It produces a whole head of grains, a whole ear of corn, a whole head of wheat, whatever the case may be. Consider a caterpillar as it crawls into that chrysalis or cocoon, goes into that dormant stage, basically it's dying to its old life. Why? That it may raise to newness of life in a whole new form, changed into a butterfly. But even that does not compare to the beauty of a person whose life is changed by God. New life comes from dying. Fact number four, new life comes from turning toward God. Do you know that today is the first day of spring? Did you think about that? You thought about it that you're getting baptized on the first day of spring? I think that is beautiful. Uh, we did not intentionally plan it that way, but I think it is special. And why do I say that? Because spring is a time of new life. And baptism is an expression and a sign of new life. So why shouldn't they go together? It's springtime. It's new life. And that is what our baptism represents. How does new life appear in the springtime? I'd like to think about that a little bit from a, a scientific sense. How does new life appear? Or why does new life appear? We see flowers coming. The air becomes warmer. I think we've all been enjoying that. The days become longer. We enjoy the brighter evenings. New life appears. But these are not what makes spring. These are all a result. What causes spring to happen? There is new life when the earth turns towards the sun. And what happens in the springtime? Let's just imagine that the sun is right here. And you probably know that the earth is tilted on its axis. In the wintertime, the northern hemisphere is turned away from the sun. But as the earth rotates around the sun, as springtime comes, it is, the northern hemisphere is turning towards the sun. And that's what makes all the difference. The days grow longer. The days grow warmer. And new life appears. All because the earth is turning towards the sun. And if you want to experience new life, springtime in your life, that's what you need to do as well. Turn toward God and focus on him. And as you turn towards God, his love and his grace will shine upon you in a new way and light up your life with warmth and bring on growth that is otherwise impossible. Now, today is an exciting day. It's a day you've looked forward to. In a way, it's a new beginning but I want to warn you, life is not going to be perfect from here on out. In the springtime, storms can come. Sometimes you have thunderstorms. You have wind. You have lightning. You have rain. But consider, these are some of the very things that help the new life to come, that help the flowers to blossom and to shine. 
And there will be rainy days in your life. And the wind will blow. There may be storm clouds. But God wants to use even these to develop this new life within you. To produce beauty in your life. So there is new life when the earth turns towards the sun. There is also new life as we turn towards God. And I could give many uh, illustrations in the Bible from that. Uh, one example would be the prodigal son. He was a distance from his father, but the moment that he turned his face towards home, everything changed. He turned towards his father, and he found new life. Another example, when Jesus was hanging on the cross, there were two thieves. The one thief basically turned his face away from God, turned his face away from Jesus. He experienced death. But the other turned toward Jesus and expressed his faith in Jesus, and he experienced life. Turn toward God, and he will help that new life to blossom within you. The fifth fact, new life produces a new person. Even so, we also should walk in newness of life. That's talking about being a new person. And there's a number of things that are involved in being a new person. And I've, I've listed just a few of them here. As you become a new person, as you are a new person, you have a new position in Christ. Verse 3 of Romans tells us that we are baptized into Jesus Christ. It doesn't say that we know about Jesus. It doesn't say that we're getting closer to Jesus. We are in Jesus. Paul uses this phrase, in Christ, many times. Someone counted that he used it 164 times in the epistles. I didn't count them myself. But in Christ is an important fact as we consider our new life. We have a new position. We have a new name. Isaiah 62, verse 2 says, Thou shalt be called by a new name, which the mouth of the Lord shall name. And Revelation 2, 17, To him that overcometh, I will give him a white stone, and in the stone a new name written. And I think that new name is just simply a reflection of your new identity. A new person in Christ. A new name. Another aspect is that you have a new family. When a baby is born into a family, there's great rejoicing. There's anticipation. People wait for that. People look forward to it. And when that healthy baby is born, there's rejoicing. One of the first things they do is call the grandparents. A baby was born. They tell their friends, a baby was born. The news spreads. A baby is born. And everyone is excited. Everyone rejoices. Today, our church family is growing. 11 new members in one day. Pretty substantial growth for a family. Significant for a church. That's cause for rejoicing. And we welcome you. We welcome you into the family. But when a child is born into a family, it's not just a matter of rejoicing. There is responsibility that goes along with that. As you young parents know very vividly, 
Some of us who are older parents may tend to forget some of those nights and days and all that it involved. There's a lot of work. And everyone in the family contributes. It's not just the parents. Brothers and sisters and grandparents. Everyone joins in and helps with that responsibility. Today, you have a new responsibility as a church. And that responsibility should involve everyone in the church. Every one of you is responsible for these new members in our family. You're responsible to pray for them. Responsible to encourage them. To welcome them after the service here. You will have an opportunity to welcome them. I encourage you to make use of that. But not just today. They will need your care. Tell them a month from now that you're praying for them. Give them encouragement. They are depending on you. As their family, you are responsible. But the responsibility also lies with you. Every member of the family has responsibilities. You have responsibility at home in your families, right? And so it is in the church as well. You are giving yourself to the church. Look for ways that you can contribute to the church. Even as a young person, you can contribute. You can pray for people. And you can look for people to encourage. And you can be an example. You might say, me, an example to these old people? But yes, even you can be an example. 1 Timothy 4.12, let no man despise thy youth, but be thou an example of the believers. Six things here to focus on in word, in conversation, in charity, in spirit, in faith, and in purity. So you have a new family. You have a new song. Psalm 40, verse 3, he put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to your God. And I think your new life should exemplify the joy that you have within you. And lastly, you are a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. You are a new creation. That doesn't mean that you just have a new patch over your old life, that there's a quick fix. You're not simply a caterpillar with wings strapped onto its back so that hopefully it might be able to fly. You are no longer a caterpillar. You are a butterfly. You have a new life. Jesus is not a quick fix. He's not just looking to add a patch to your life. He gives new life. That means everything about you is new. A new heart. A new eyes. New eyes. The things you look at, the things you focus on will be different. New lips, the things you say, the praise to God that you express will be changed. New hands, the things you do, new interests, new desires, new goals. You are a new person, and you are a beautiful new person. To be beautiful, you don't need to go to some beauty salon or a gym to work out because there is no one that is more beautiful than a person whose life is committed to God and has his joy shining through you. 
And I just want to emphasize this morning that the, the practice of baptism is not what makes this happen. Being baptized is not what makes you a new person. It is just simply an indication of what has happened in your life and a symbol of what has happened as you identify to Christ by dying to self. I'll read this final verse, one more, or this text verse one more time. Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so ye also should walk in newness of life. I'd like to close with Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, which says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, here on the earth, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. And may that be your testimony as you go forth with Christ. I'd like to invite you to stand for prayer.